When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? You don't do it? No, I never. Girl. You think the whole world revolves around you and your money? Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like an old school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. The incidence of catfishing, also known as romance scams, has dramatically increased over the last three years. The FBI released a statement that people lost one billion, yes, billion with a B, dollars in romance fraud last year. And romance scams reported to the Federal Trade Commission rose a whopping 80%. Plus, romance scams have caught national attention through exposés like the show Catfish and the Netflix doc The Tinder Swindler. These types of stories make my heart hurt. The fact that there is a whole crime network that targets folks who are just looking for love, there are no words for it. With these kinds of scams on the rise, it's more important than ever to protect yourself and to know how to recover financially if you do fall victim to a scam. So today we have the lovely Rebecca joining us on the show. Rebecca is a survivor of a romance scam, and she is here to share her experience. It's such an important conversation that we decided to dedicate two episodes to Rebecca's story. In today's episode, we're going to be hearing about the mechanics of Rebecca's scam and what tactics the the scammer used to pull off the lies. Tomorrow, Rebecca shares how she got her life back and proves that no one can ever take everything from you. And I do want to say before we start that both episodes involve stories of suicide. So please take care while listening. <laughs> Rebecca, welcome to Money Rehab. Uh, thank you for having me. I want to start with your story. So let's go back to the beginning of your communication with the person who went by Matthew. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. How did you guys first meet? So I was in the happiest point of my life when I decided I was going to try online dating. Uh, my job and everything was going very well. And I had the thought, well, why couldn't this area of my life go just as well? I had never tried online dating before. And I knew friends that are, are still married to this day with children, you know, several couples that had used OkCupid to find their significant other. So I, I, you know, it felt to me like there was an element of safety there. Social validation. Exactly. Everything was going really well. And I thought, well, you know what, I'll, I'll try this. And actually my friend, a friend of mine, you know, sort of got there first. She's like, I'm going to try online dating. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'll be your wing girl. 
And uh, I had been married once before, uh, and it was not a particularly good marriage. So, and and I did that whole "I'm swearing off men" thing, where I'm I'm just done. I'm done with all. I'm done with dating. I'm done with men. I'm just done. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I've done it every few years. <laughs> Fast forward two years, and here we are. Okay, okay, but I'll try online dating. So, I, it was very important to me to sort of approach it with open heart, open mind. I really did not want to hold a potential new relationship responsible for the sins of past relationships. And of course, you're going to go on a dating site with an open heart and open mind. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Uh, You know, I thought when I was building my profile that I was being smart, you know, basically saying, because I didn't want to be a notch in someone's bedpost. I didn't want something casual. I wanted, you know, if I'm going to put my time, effort, and energy in this thing, I want it to be a meaningful, hopefully long-term relationship. So Mm. it was all about, you know, this is the package I come in. These are the things I will put up with. These are the things I won't put up with. With no drama, any anything casual need not apply. One detail that I did put in my profile, which I realize now in hindsight was a bit of a mistake, was that I I like children, but I cannot biologically have children for medical reasons. And the reason why I had put that detail in there was because I didn't want that to be an expectation, you know, that, you know, I I build a rapport and 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 relationship with this person. Suddenly they want to, you know, I, I wanted anyone who was, you know, going to come into my life to understand it wasn't going to be something that was naturally going to occur, you know, traditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I didn't realize in putting in that detail was that I was actually creating a bit of a roadmap for scammers around what would have been red flags for me that maybe something a little more sinister might have been happening in the background. So, of course, when when Matthew came into the picture, we we immediately connected. And that's because scammers know what to say, you know, to make you feel valued, to make you feel heard, to make you feel understood. And they know also because this is their bread and butter that how did this disarm you? And so, you know, the requests for money did not come immediately. You know, the aim at first is to build that trust, to build that connection. They're basically building a wall around you where, you know, if the questions come, there are answers that they have within the context of the narrative that they're building for you that, you know, their answers disarm you. For my particular situation, you know, he and I talked for you know, a long time before the requests for money started coming. And what they do is they start small. What is that thing? They're looking for that hook. What's that hook that's going to make you send that money? And they start with a small amount of money to see if you send it because then they know they've got you. And then it's just a matter of keeping the narrative going and, and having the situation in that narrative continually escalate and they will keep it going as long as they can get money out of you. So let's unpack the nefarious nature of using some of the personal items in your profile, like not being able to have biological children. Did this guy use that as 
a point of connection. Of I'm assuming it's a sensitive topic. It's probably very emotionally charged. You were, you know, in the right by sharing it. Uh, you, you know, your heart was in the right place. Did he exploit that aspect? He exploited it, but not in the way you're thinking. Tell me more. His narrative was that he had a, he was a single father, widowed. His wife had died two years before from cancer, and he had a five-year-old son. So, okay. so, so that was that was a t- likely a tailor-made narrative for the prototype he assumed based on those little details in your profile that you wanted a child, you couldn't have one, and then you know, then you don't have the ex in the picture, which seems sort of. I didn't want any like baby mom and drama, <laughs> right? So you didn't want drama. You couldn't have a child. So he what you think now created this persona to tailor fit your needs well, or your desires. It, it didn't, it didn't, because to some degree, they have like a playbook for every scenario. In the pictures that I received, there was a child in these pictures. You know, there were times where his son and I were playing games uh, over our phones, you know, obviously there wasn't this child, but that was the narrative that was built for me. I had no way of knowing what was being built for me wasn't real. This was a group of people that basically presented themselves as a father and son. And, you know, as Someone like me, you know, they they look for marks with certain hallmarks, you know, caring, open, giving, nurturing people. With the narrative that was presented to me when when the money, you know, started, was it boiled down to was I going to leave a child into a bad, you know, in this bad situation? Of course, I wasn't going to do that. I didn't want to feel like a monster doing that. So, you know, there's so much manipulation that is in play because you have now invested yourself into this relationship that has been built up. uh, And now this person's in trouble and their child, there's a child in trouble you know, it just hits you on a number of levels uh, and and starts to build up. In, and the thing is, yes, I never met him. <laughs> I get that. How could you give money to someone you've never met? It was part, part of it was the narrative that was built for me because they, you know, it was a situation where, uh, you know, he was homeschooling his child. He had to go on a business trip. Uh, we had plans to meet. The three of us had plans to meet when they came back. The trip was supposed to be two weeks. They create something plausible because the thing is, they know that when they're not communicating with you, you're thinking about them and you're building up things in your own mind about the relationship. They know that absence, you know, is going to create urgency. They all, you know, there's all these tips and tricks and things that they know that you don't know as the person that is being sort of filtered through this narrative. And so they, they create real world situations for you. Like COVID was a completely, you know, a boon for these scammers because you had a real world situation that everybody was stuck in where your love could not see you, but a thousand and one reasons why your love might need money. Hmm. So uh, for me, you, you know, you also apply your own life experience to the circumstances that are presented before you. The ask, you know, was he was traveling with his son 
the credit card that he was using for his expenses on this trip had stopped working. So he was kind of stuck and he was traveling internationally. I have been in that situation before. So when that situation was presented to me, I had applied my own life experience with a similar situation to the narrative. And then, of course, there's a child involved, you know, and I did. I asked all the the reasonable questions one would ask. I was like, Matthew, you know, this is still a relatively new relationship. Uh, we have not met in person yet. I'm feeling really uneasy about this. Please, is there someone else that you can, you know, appeal to that can help you out? Because I'm not feeling entirely comfortable. And again, they're used to these questions. So there was always an answer at the ready and there was always a, you know, some kind of a, you know, endearment to it. Like, oh, oh, sweetheart, no, I understand where you're coming from. I can see how this would be very uneasy. You have to understand that, you know, from where I'm coming from, you know, this has never happened before. And I have my son with me. Like, I'm really stuck. I mean, can you just help me out with a couple hundred dollars just till I can sort this out? And, you know, you're doing this for me would really prove that we really do belong together because you're you're standing by me through this difficult situation and they also know how to build uh the silence in the narrative you know he was all about you know everybody it was a very public thing uh that i was in this relationship and everybody was very happy for me what people didn't know was the hidden financial dynamic and how that came into play was Oh, and honey, please don't, you know, let your friends and family know that, I, you know, I'm borrowing this money. I don't want to be embarrassed when meeting them that you had to do that for me, which I can understand that. I didn't want to be judged for lending him money. So I, you know, was like, you know, our business is our own. You'll be home in a couple weeks. You know, he, he had promised, you know, to the moon and back, he would sort it out then and I would get my money back and, you know, our relationship and life would go on. Uh, only it didn't, <laughs> it all went downhill from there. So hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Now for some more Money Rehab. So you gave him a few hundred dollars and you didn't feel like there was anything sketchy going on at that point. When did that start to change? Well, the situation is a slow burn. And this is another thing that people kind of need to understand. It is not like an overnight, you know, blink of an eye awareness that happens. How long was this whole thing? Over the course of a year. So, and the thing is, uh, you know, I get, I get feedback. Well, this would never happen to me. I don't have any money. People need to understand it's not just about the money. If you have ability, if you can take out loans, if you have assets of any kind, your information is currency to them. Like I, I know that there is a file out there on me in the dark webs, you know, being sold to and from other scammers trying to do things like a, a secondary scam, uh, which is when somebody comes to you posing to be law enforcement or something, uh, and they they promise that they can get you your money back. It doesn't happen. <laughs> very, very rarely does it happen, and it certainly does not happen that way. You, you know, and then the thing is, 
like I was saying, it's not just money that's in, that's involved, that's currency, it's information and it's know-how. So like if you don't have money, but you strike up a, a relationship with somebody and like what had happened in, in my situation, you know, I was depleted for everything that I had by the end. And then, you know, comes the phenomenon called money muling, where, you know, I had nothing left to give but I had a bank account. Oh, honey, guess what? One of my clients is ready to pay an invoice, but since my, you know, I'm frozen from my funds, let's, um, you know, have them pay the invoice to you through your account. And then you can send me that money. And then that'll get me home that much sooner. Hmm. What basically that is, is money laundering. You are what it actually is, is that you are taking money from another victim who is not yet woken up to what is actually happening. Uh, They are sending money to you as the conduit. In my case, it was wiring services. I was wiring money using uh, Western Union and MoneyGram to send the money to him to keep basically straddling two households because, you know, at first it was me trying to support both households. And then I was allowing my household to collapse, trying to support, to continue to support their household. And what was the reason he was telling you that he continued to need money? Was this all around an international trip? He would, yeah, he, he was, and and this is a often used, you know, if it's an oil driller, a doctor, military, Nine times out of 10, it is a scam because in the military, the military pays for everything. You know, for for Matthew, he was an oil magistrate, which basically meant he was a oil contractor middleman where he would go procure the oil, bring the oil back, you know, paying all those expenses to do so, and then sell the oil to the third party. You know, I begged and plead with him constantly, let me just fly you both home. I don't understand what the the issue is. Just please come home. And, you know, because he was an independent contractor, you know, his whole thing is, no, I can't come home until the job is done. If I, if I do that, I'm in breach of contract. I can lose my business. Etc. Etc. You know, there was one point where I ended up taking money out of my 401k to pay his people to continue working so that they could complete the contract so that they could come home. There was one point where he promised to, you know, he basically said, you know, because I was getting really antsy and really frustrated and, and, and just seriously, emotionally, you know, going down the rabbit hole, you know, into depression and stuff, because at this point I was, you know, pawning jewelry. I was, you know, not paying rent, not paying my bills, racking up the the credit cards. Like it was just this, I was awash in debt uh, and coming from a place, you know, where I was the happiest I'd ever been to hitting, you know, eventually hitting rock bottom. You know, it's quite a journey. And did you talk to him on the phone or FaceTime? No FaceTime. The, the, and this is, uh, uh, this is something that is often the case. The camera was broken on, on the laptop. And after the couple hundred dollars initially, what types of amounts did he request? I, 
the bigger amounts would usually be to pay the bill for where he was staying. Smaller amount or, or like a thousand dollars. Yeah, or- like a twelve hundred. Or uh, there was a couple points where he ended up having malaria uh, and had to be treated at the hospital. There were, you know, requests for, you know, can can we can I can I send money for food for groceries? It, it just really ran the gamut. You know, six hundred dollars. Hey, I need to. I need. You know, I can't get back and forth to and from the site drilling the oil because the rental car is having an issue, and I need to get another rental car. You know, just there was always something. You know, (laughs) and I and meanwhile, I'm like, hey, you need to come home. You need to fix all this. My world is falling apart, and and you're not here. It actually took me a bit to wake up from my scam. I did not wake, you know, really wake up till I had, a friend of mine had put me in contact with a support group called Scam Haters United. And they were the ones that actually able sort of took me through what actually happened and how it was engineered. Because what had happened to me, I I was going through anxiety and depression and all these things were happening around me. And so I became suicidal. And I said to Matthew, look, I can't keep doing this. My world is falling apart. I'm being evicted from my apartment. I don't want to be living on the street in winter. Uh, I was worried about the small details. Uh, You know, I have two cats, two wonderful little kitties that uh, I was worried about what would happen to them. I was worried about, uh, you know, I was, I was upset because I was letting them down. You know, your mind just goes all sorts of places and you're not thinking straight anymore at a, at a certain point. And so I said to him, I'm thinking about suicide. I don't, that's not me. I'm a get up and go, a doer, problem solver, you know, love life person. Like, I I understand about your company, but you need to come home. You need to fix this. And, you know, around the hamster wheel a few more times, because again, you're not getting the answer you want to get. And so he, there came a point when Discover Card was suing me and and the eviction process was starting and I'm sitting there trying to figure out, gee, I wonder if I can maybe sleep at my office and just like get up before anybody comes into the office and, and just feign that I'm working late so that, you know, people don't ask questions. What can I do to keep up this, you know, because there's shame. You know, I felt very much you know, there's self-blame and self-shame that happens in a situation that's like this. I didn't want people to know how far I'd fallen. And it got to a point where I had gotten pills and I said to him, I'm going to take these pills. I was not thinking about the aftermath of what it would do to the people that I left behind, the questions they would never get answers to. Uh, or the grief uh, and the what, you know, them left wondering what they could have done to prevent. It. I wasn't thinking about all that. I was just tired and done and couldn't couldn't see over the top every of everything that was happening to me. And I said, I, I think I'm going to take these pills. 
And he says to me, and I'll never forget the cold and indifference in his voice. Well, you have to do what you have to do. And that was a stamp of finality for me. I decided, okay, that says to me, you're not coming. I don't have an alternative. I'm going to do this. I, I hung up the phone with him and cut ties with him completely. I had chosen a day because I, I, I didn't want any more pain. And I didn't want to... I didn't want it to be painful. So my I was ready to take these pills. I was going to take several boxes of these pills and just my plan was I was just going to go to sleep and that was going to be it. Well, but I wanted to see the people that were closest to me one more time. And you know, a very very dear dear friend of mine, Elizabeth. She and I had made plans for dinner and she didn't know nobody knew. That, you know, in my mind, this was the last dinner. And we were sitting in this little hole in the wall Italian restaurant. And out of nowhere, without any context, she starts telling me about a coworker of hers where the, the daughter of this coworker was being relentlessly bullied in school and had decided she was going to commit suicide, but at the last moment decided instead to go talk to her parents. I fell apart at the table. I just sobbing and proceeded to word vomit to her everything that had gone on over the course of that year. And she kind of sat back wide-eyed. She, I don't fall apart like that. Uh, and she's not the silent type you know, where she's kind of left speechless. Um, and the thing is, she, you know, I, I, I got out as much as I could and was so deflated. She just kind of sat there for a minute. And I'm, as, as the victim of this, waiting for the vitriol, waiting for the judgment, waiting for that, how could you be so stupid to land yourself in this situation, et cetera, et cetera. I was very lucky. She, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for it. And it felt like forever before I any got, got any kind of uh, uh, response, but it couldn't have been more than a minute or two. And she goes and she grabs my hands across the table and sque squeezing my hands very tightly. It felt very much that she was hanging on to for dear life. And, but what she didn't understand was that she was holding on to my life in that moment. And I did tell her that night that I have these pills uh, and I'm going to take them. And this is when I'm going to take them. And I, and I said, but I, I really don't want to do that. I just don't, I don't know what else I could do at this point. And she was very smart. The, the first thing that she did before I even told her that piece was she was holding my hands. She looks at me dead in the eye and says, you know, this isn't your fault, right? And I, that thought had not even really occurred to me. What it really woke me up to was I had forgotten by this point who I was before the scam happened.
Here was someone who loved and cared about me and knew who I was before all this happened, knew who I was enough to understand how this happened. And she was standing by me. And she said, she didn't make it about her, which I think was another really, really smart thing to do. Uh, she said, if either of us ever feel that we are in a situation where suicide is on the table as an option, we're not going to do that. We're going to call each other. And I, and, and it was she that came up with the idea of bankruptcy. I don't know whether or not the idea of bankruptcy had ever entered my mind prior to that moment. I I did have some resistance to it, you know, because bankruptcy has its own stigmas. But at that point, I had nothing left to lose. So that, that was the route I ended up taking. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode where we hear the rest of Rebecca's story. And spoiler alert, it has a happy ending.